for who, for who you are. And, and we're just so grateful that we get to know you. And Lord, we don't ever want to take you for granted. We thank you for your presence here this morning. We thank you that, that we're able just to worship you freely and enjoy you and what you want to do in our lives. And Lord, we do want to align ourselves up with you. And we ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you would help us, that you would teach us, lead us, guide us, convict us of our ways that are not in line with you. And Father, I just pray that we'd open our ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying this morning. And we would set our hearts to walk in obedience to your word and what you teach us. We choose to be doers of the word and not just hearers. So thank you again, Father, for another wonderful day where we can just celebrate your goodness and learn of you. And we thank you again for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Many of you may remember, it's probably been over, well, actually it actually has been over a year, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, um, I guess about a year and a half ago, when I shared two things that I felt like the Lord, well, I really believe he put on my heart that he's wanting to do uh, here at New Covenant Fellowship. Two of the many things, and, and one was to develop a culture of expectation. That God wants to develop a culture of expectation here at New Covenant Fellowship. And what I mean by that is, where we come expecting to meet with God, we come expecting to encounter His presence through His Word, through His, um, His tangible presence and worship, through him ministering to us, whether it's physical needs, emotional needs, or whatever the case may be. But he wants to increase our expectation so that when we come to church on Sundays, we don't just come with the expectation of just going through the same old, same old. But we come with the expectation that we are going to meet with God and he's going to do some things. He's going to change my life. And the second thing that I believe he told me was he's wanting to develop a culture of honor. A culture of honor. <clears throat> How many of you remember me sharing that? Anybody? Okay, some of you don't, so that's why I shared it again. So now everybody can hear that. But those two things, culture of expectation and a culture of honor. And uh, today I want to talk about the second one, culture of honor, what we mean by that. Now when I say when I'm talking about a culture of honor, I'm talking about in reference to how we minister and deal with and relate to each other. Okay? And what I want to ask you is, when I, when I say God wants to develop a culture of honor amongst us here at New Covenant Fellowship, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? And I'm not asking that as a rhetorical question, but I'm asking to hear from um, you. What does that mean to you, a culture of honor? Anybody? Say that again? Okay, so in a culture of honor, we would respect each other. Okay? What? Okay, be truthful and honest with one another. Okay? See some? Say that again. Being one body and becoming one together. Okay. Anybody else? K. 
caring about each other. And the reason why I'm repeating this is so those who listen to this over the Internet or whatever they can hear. Don't you hate when you're listening to a tape and they ask questions and you can't hear what the answers are? I hate it. So today we're going to hopefully take care of that. So caring for one another. What else? Say it again, Mike. Being supportive of one another. Okay, good. What else? A standard? What do you mean by standard? Okay. We together come up to God's standard. Okay. Good. Knowing your boundaries within your fellowship. Okay. Anybody else? Yes. Okay. We need to esteem the other person more than we do ourselves. I think I read that somewhere in the Bible. Anybody else? Lifting each other up. Physically? Bench pressing one another? What do you mean by that? Huh? Supportively. Okay, I knew that. Yes. Always forgive. Ooh, I think I read something about that too. Yes, Candy. Okay. Okay. Build each other up. Encourage one another. Melissa. Be loyal to each other. Okay, Cecil. Loving one another as God loves us. Heidi, I mean Heidi. Holly, I don't know why I said Heidi. (laughs) Okay, give thanks for those who have gone before us and acknowledge them. Acknowledge what they've done for us. Okay, Mike. Okay. To be known outside the church as a church that cares for each other. And that's really good. Would you guys like that kind of a culture? All the things that we've just mentioned. <clears throat> when I was thinking about this, I jotted down some things that I thought as well. A culture of honor is a culture where people value relationship. Not just believe in relationship, but people value Relationship. A culture of honor is a culture where people are intentional in seeking and developing close, intimate, transparent relationships. A culture where people are intentional in developing close, intimate, and transparent relationships. A culture where people value accountability in relationships. A culture where people seek to learn to walk in true biblical love towards one another. And a culture, a place where people are valued and feel valued. Now, I can tell you I value you. We say, oh, yeah, we value you guys. When you come here to New Covenant, we value you. And we can say that lip service. But if you don't feel that value, then it's just a bunch of lip service. Right? So a place where people are valued and feel valued. And the last one, where people value relationships and will do all they can to protect them. And that goes along the lines with forgiveness. In other words, where you value relationships so much that you're going to do whatever it takes to maintain, to keep, to, to uh, encourage that relationship. And when conflict comes up, you're not going to allow that conflict, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> 
You're not going to allow that conflict just to, to tear up and destroy the relationship. Does that make sense? So this is what I believe along the lines with what you guys said. I believe it all. This is what I believe the Lord's wanting to do here at New Covenant Fellowship. It has a lot to do with relationships. Now, why is this important? Why would this be a non-option? That's a rhetorical question. I'm not expecting an answer to that out loud. If you remember in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus told his disciples as he started calling them. Remember Peter and John and, and the different ones as he was calling them out of the, the boats and they were fishing. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. And remember, we've talked about what a disciple is. There's three components to our definition of a disciple. It's someone who is following Jesus, someone who is being changed by Jesus, and someone who is committed to the mission of Jesus. So if you consider yourself a disciple, then being committed to the mission of Jesus is people. Because he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And I think we would all agree that Jesus cares about men. Now, of course, when I'm talking about men, that means mankind, men and women, children, that kind of thing. So the reason why this would be a non-option to me as a disciple is because Jesus says for me to follow him. And if I say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, then that means I'm going to allow him to change me in my life. Which means my priorities are going to come to the place to where I put his kingdom first. And we will begin to see, as you read his word, that people, his kingdom is all about people. It's all about people. <clears throat> and we've been talking about what the Lord is doing, wanting to continue to do here at New Covenant Fellowship, is make us more effective disciples. I want to follow Jesus and I want everything that he has for me. I want to walk in the fullness, not the halfness. But the fullness of what he has for me. I want to walk in the fullness of my calling. How many of you would want the same thing? What do you realize that a huge part of that has to do with people? Matthew chapter 22. So it's like, why is this important? Why is developing a culture of honor important? That's what I'm going to talk about. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Jesus said unto him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. In another version, it says, and all your strength. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So when someone asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And he named love God with everything in you and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said the two go hand in hand. Love God and love your neighbor. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love God does not know God, for God is love. In John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this will all the... By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So it's interesting that the, that the, the mark 
to the world that we belong to Jesus is how we treat each other. Did you catch that? He says, this is how the world will know. Right here. I'm about to describe to you how the world's going to know that you belong to me. And that's the same today. The world will know that we are true disciples of Jesus Christ by the way we treat each other. Now, have you heard, if you talk to people who don't come to church, maybe they used to, they don't anymore, or people who never did, don't claim to be Christians, their criticisms against the church? What's, one, what's like the number one criticism you hear? What is it? Hypocrisy, hypocrites, the H word. Now, what does hypocrisy have to do with? Does it have to do with your theology as much as your actions towards other people? And maybe they say hypocrites because you claim to be one way, but you treated them another way, which is contrary to being a Christian. I mean, I'm being general. I'm generalizing that. But you get my point. People say, oh, they're full of a bunch of hypocrites based on the way we act towards one another. That's what the criticism is. And so Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by the way you love each other. And so if we become a church that begins to learn, not just theologically and intellectually, but learn and walk in genuine biblical love for one another, do you think that's going to be different, unfortunately. But do you think that's going to get people's attention? Because do you think that people want to be loved? All I have to do is talk to people. All I have to do is be around people. We all want that. We want to be loved. We want to be accepted. We want to be cared for. We want that. So if you're in a place, if I come into this church as a new person or you know, just kind of a spectator, just kind of observing. And I don't know anybody, but I, I can tell generally how people, how you treat each other and how you're acting towards one another. And seeing the different ethnic groups, different social classes, all that kind of stuff. But I see that you genuinely seem to care for one another. That's going to get my attention. Because what I would expect to see is people just kind of being segregated. That's what that's what the world expects. That's what we expect. But when people learn to walk in the true, genuine, biblical love, that's going to get their attention. And remember, God is all about people and he's going to he's going to teach us how to be fishers of people. And I believe one of the biggest or one of the most effective baits will be our love for one another. Because if a person comes into this church as a new person and they see how you treat each other and it's negative. Then they're thinking, well, it's just a matter of time before they treat me that way. So why would I want to stick around? On the contrary, if they see you treating each other and it's very positive, you're caring, you're concerned. Genuine love and care for each other. Say, hmm. I think I might come back next week. And then they come back next week and see that, hey, well, it wasn't just a, a holiday last week, but it was they're doing it again. They're treating each other a certain way. Now, obviously, on Sunday mornings, 
When we talk about relationships and everything, Sunday morning is not necessarily is not really conducive to develop the kind of relationships that we're talking about. Close, intimate, um, transparent relationships. Sunday morning is not designed for that. We'll talk about that as we go on. But if we have an atmosphere, a culture that that's being developed in this church, it will show up on Sunday mornings. Because if you're in a situation where you're getting to know one another and you're spending time with one another and you're developing relationships, being intentional and going after each other. And you begin to know each other. And then because when you get to know each other and you see your flaws, each other's flaws and all that kind of stuff, and you still care for one another, that's going to show up on Sunday morning. You know what I mean? And that's what people are going to see. I believe that we would all want that and say, yes, I want that. Let me ask you this. Whose responsibility is for that? Whose responsibility is it for that kind of a culture and atmosphere to be developed here? Is it the pastor's? Exactly. I'm glad you didn't say it was mine. That's right. It's all of us. So if we want this, then you need to ask yourself, what am I doing to contribute to that? Because you can't just sit on the sidelines, just sitting down being a spectator and watching everybody, thinking, hmm. They need to act a little better over there. And they need to quit gossiping over there. And those people need to get a clue over there. You know, we can't just sit and be a spectator, but we have to give ourselves to the process. You know, something I realized as I was reading up on this is that the, another reason why it's important for this, why this is a non-option, do you realize that the measure of our spiritual maturity in the Bible, the measure of our spiritual maturity and our love for God is based on our love for one another. I was reading in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. It says, if, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother. You know how easy it is to say you love God? I know it is for me. Oh, God, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. But I can't stand people. Just me, you, and God. Me, you, me and you. Me and you, God. And it would be so easy for people to fall into that. Think they have a love for God. And believe that they can hate people or not want anything to do with people. But you know, it's interesting that in the greatest commandment, when they said, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said to love the Lord your God with everything. And the second one is just like it. And love your neighbor as yourself. And then you look in 1 John 5 or 4, 20. If you say you love God but hate your brother, you're lying. I believe how it works is we need to love God with everything. And here's how it's going to be demonstrated on my love for you. Does that make sense? So I can say, I love God, I love God, I love God. And I can say, oh, yeah, I read the Bible ten times a day. 
I pray three hours a day. I do all these wonderful things. I love God. I love God. I love God. Now, my true love for God is not based in those things, but it's based on how I treat you. So if I love, if I say I love God a lot, but I treat you poorly, then that's where the hypocrisy word can come in. And actually, I'd be willing to say this, that if you want to, if you want to be able to measure how much, like if we can take our love for God and put it in ounces and see how many ounces of love for God do I have? Do I have 10 ounces? Do I have 16 ounces? Do I have one ounce? I believe that can be measured in how you treat people. If you love people with three ounces, then that's how, much, that's how many ounces of love you have for God. Am I making sense? hope I'm not oversimplifying this. And so we really have to look at how am I treating people? And see, so we need God to help us deal with our hard issues so that I can love people the way he wants me to love people. Because he's the one that said that we're to love each other as he has loved me. That's pretty hard. If left to myself, it's impossible. But the Bible says that the love of God has been shed and brought in our hearts. When we have the Holy Spirit in us from being born again, then we have the package of love from God in us as well. We've got all God's love in us. And he wants to deal with us and help us so that we can express that love towards other people. And so that's why we have to love God first. We have to let him love us, let him change us, let him deal with us. Then we're able to love people. You know, it's interesting because you remember the story of the, in one of the verses, when Jesus sharing that verse, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then one of the Pharisees said, who's my neighbor? You know, trying to justify himself. Then Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember that story? The guy was beaten by robbers, left dead or half dead. Two men who loved God came by and saw that person. And what did they do? They didn't have time for him because they were too busy loving God on their way to the synagogue. But the person in the story, and it's funny how Jesus always used people as the hero whom society didn't like. The Jews did not like the Samaritans. They despised them. They were half-breeds. They didn't like them. So Jesus intentionally would throw them in their face to make a point, I believe. And he used the Samaritan was the good guy. Now, we don't know anything about the relationship between the Samaritan and God. But if you want to judge or look at and evaluate the three men, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, which one demonstrated true love for God? The Samaritan. Who probably had more knowledge of God? Actually, my thought was the first two. Knowledge. They had more knowledge. In other words, they were studied. The Levite and the priest knew, had knowledge of God because they were studiers of the law and that kind of thing. They knew about God, knew the laws and everything, but when it came to demonstrating the love of God, they missed it. And so the point is, it's not how much, how often we go to church. It's not how often we read the Bible. It's taking the Bible that you are reading and applying it. 
And that's where it's at. In the context of relationship with one another. First Corinthians chapter three, you don't have to turn there, but if you're writing notes, first Corinthians chapter three, verse one through four. This is Paul talking to the church. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in the Christian life. <clears throat> I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you were because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready. For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and you quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, another says, I follow Apollos. Aren't you acting just like people of the world? Now, right here, he was evaluating and judging them, their spiritual maturity based on not how much they knew the word. It was based on how they were treating one another. Based on how you're treating one another, you're spiritual babies. When you should be mature and you should be taking meat, I still have to feed you milk because you're spiritual babies. And it was all related to how they were treating each other. So, the reason why it's important to allow a culture of honor to be developed, which means learning to walk in biblical love for one another. And I say learning because we haven't arrived yet and we do need to learn. We need to learn what does it mean? I can say I love you, brother. But what does that really mean? Is it just a, a, a phrase that I just throw out there? Or do I really mean that? And see, when Jesus called his disciples, he says, come and follow me and I will make you. And he says that same thing to us. Follow me and I will make you. In other words, I'm going to transform you. I'm going to change you into what I want to change you into. That's what God says to us. But you know what the tools are that he uses that change us? Besides the word, besides the Holy Spirit, the major tools on the outside are people. So when I say, God, I want to follow you, I want to be a more effective disciple, then he says, okay, you need to get in relationships with people. Because that's what I'm going to use to develop you. So scripturally speaking, I don't believe that you can really come into maturity, really grow into the things of Christ, grow in your character, to grow into the fullness of Christ that it talks about in Ephesians chapter 4, outside of relationships. So relationship is important. If I want to grow and be mature in Christ, then I have to grow in relationships. You know, those of you who are married and been married for a long time, say, say 10 years or more. If you and your spouse are still together and you guys are doing okay, you would recognize that you've changed. Right? Because if you don't change... Then you're going to have some major problems. And of course, we all need to continue to change. And we also, you realize, see, when you're by yourself, you can be as selfish as you want to be. You can be as greedy. You can be whatever when you're by yourself. But if you take those characteristics and put them in a relationship context, either relationship is not going to function or there's got to be change. You've got to change. Would you agree with that? 
just like before I was a parent, when I got married with Lisa, hey, everything was pretty good. It was good. It was all good. Life was cool. I didn't have any anger issues. I mean, I had expectations. I had to deal with expectations of my wife. But all of a sudden, I became a parent, and I had anger issues. Now, were those anger issues brand new, or were they always there? They were there. It just took another relationship to expose them. And what happened, the anger revolved around this kid crying all the time and not letting me sleep at night. All the time. He cried all the time. And yes, I have forgiven Trey. And I still work on forgiving him. Now, he cried and cried and cried and cried. And all of a sudden, it's like, you know, being up late into the night and having to get up in the morning to go to work and all that kind of stuff. All of a sudden, I had these anger issues that were exposed through that relationship with that little, little baby. If I stayed single and stayed by myself, I can have those issues, and it, it, but it doesn't matter. So if you want to be, if you say that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ and you want to grow in that, then relationships is not optional. It's not optional. As a matter of fact, I would even say that relationships is something that you will aggressively pursue because you see that it's the key for your growth and maturity. I want to grow up into Christ. I want to grow up in everything he has for me. So therefore, I have to pursue relationships because in those relationships, I'm going to grow in Christ. And it's funny because I've been a Christian for a long time, at least five years. But it's, it's been in this last year and a half that this is really getting a hold of me. It's like the lights are coming on in this particular area. And I'm seeing that it's non-optional. It's not an option if I consider myself a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, so relationships are um, rewarding, but they're also, also risky. And we would all agree with that. They're very risky. You can put trust in people and for a long time, and all of a sudden that, that trust is betrayed. And then you can put trust in people again, and that trust is betrayed. And then you put trust in people again, and the trust is betrayed. And then you say, okay, no more. I'm done. Mm-mm, I'm done. But get y'all. You guys can come this close and no further, no closer. And just like Shannon said earlier, always forgive. That's why Jesus said that. Because he knew we, our trust would be violated. He knew that we would be betrayed. He knew that we would have issues and, and we would have Situations where we would need to forgive people because if you don't forgive, then you allow yourself to be put in a prison and you isolate yourself. Then you're by yourself. And then your mind, you can think, I love God, I love God, I love God, but your actions aren't showing that because you don't trust anybody. You don't get close to anybody. And therefore, your growth is, is uh, superficial. It's in a vacuum. I've experienced where I thought I was growing to realize it was in a vacuum. Have you ever spent time with God and just had a wonderful quiet time? I mean, oh, God's presence is awesome and God is dealing with you and God, I'm, I'm changed. I'm never going to be that way again. I repent and all this kind of stuff. You're just having a wonderful, you know, warm fuzzies and everything. And then you come out of your quiet time and one of your children doesn't do what they're supposed to do. 
And it's like that quiet time experience evaporates. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like, wait a minute, was that real? <laughs> I mean, you get angry, you yell, or, it's like, wait a minute, I was just over here loving on God and I'm here yelling at my kids or whatever the situation is. See, it's the relationship, the context of relationships that show you where you are. It's a constant reminder. So, okay, I need to grow in that area some more. But if you stay by yourself, then you can come up, you can develop a false reality of where you are spiritually. And I know none of us want to live under false reality. So it's important. So I can grow much, I can grow spiritually. It's also important so that I can lead others. Jesus or Paul said, he said to people, follow me as I follow Christ. See my example and follow me as I'm following Jesus. We need to show the world. Look at our example of how we're loving each other. We don't need to tell them that. We need to show them that. We need to just do it. To be an example so they will want to follow us as we're following Christ. Here's one, something I want to encourage you with. Now, of course, I didn't get specific on how we walk in relationships and develop that. We'll do that another time. But we just need to establish the fact that relationships in developing a culture of honor where we learn to walk in biblical love for one another is extremely important. And it needs to become a high value in our lives. But what can happen is when we talk about things like this is we can begin to disqualify ourselves because of our circumstances. And say, well, yeah, that's all good, CJ, but you don't understand what I'm going through right now. I know I need to develop relationships, but, and then that big old but comes out again. Remember that? Metaphorically, people, come on now. Excuses. So what we need to do with this is we need to say, Lord, because he knows the circumstances you're in. He knows the season of life that you're in. And so our heart needs to be, Lord, you know the season that I'm in. You know what I'm going through, what's going on. How do I apply this? How do I take your word and apply it in my circumstances? And then we let him help us and mold us and shape us and walk out his walk in obedience to him in our current circumstances. Instead of just saying, oh, I can't do that right now. I don't have time for that. I'm too busy. Do you know how many hours I work a week? I work 80 hours a week. I don't have time for, for relationships and people. If you don't have time for relationships, something's wrong. Because if Jesus is challenging us to get in relationship, you know, through discipleship, and we're saying I don't have time, then our priorities are out of whack. And that's why you need to let him help you. Because if, you, if your circumstances do not allow you to walk in obedience to God and you, tr- and you truly submit yourself to God, then he will change your circumstances so that you can walk in obedience to him. Something's got to change. You know, when we all stand before God and where people stand before God and a man is standing there and, and, and Jesus says, why did you never um, submit your life to me? 
Make me your Lord and Savior. Well, Jesus, I just didn't have time. You saw how busy I was. And Jesus is going to say, oh, that's right. I'm sorry, I forgot. I don't know what I was thinking. Okay, I'll let you in. You're good. Think it's going to happen that way? Probably not. Probably not. Every knee shall bow. Every time we'll confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so I just want to encourage you. As we wrap it up, I'm finished. To evaluate your heart. Did God, where am I? Do I value relationships? If you don't, but you want to. You don't value what you want to. You need to say, Lord, help me. Because the reason why you don't value relationships is probably because of some heart issues that you got going on. Some betrayed trust or offendings or woundings or whatever the case is. Don't let that be an excuse for you to exempt yourself from walking in biblical love towards other people. But recognize what's holding you back and say, Lord, I need help. I surrender this stuff to you. Help me, Lord. And that's why we offer things. We are learning to intentionally bring things to the table here so that you can allow God to remove the junk so you can move forward. One practical ministry to help with that in a major way is Father's Heart Ministry. That ministry is designed, it's discipleship, it's practical, it helps you deal with your heart issues so you can move forward. Also, it helps you to deal with the heart issues so you can receive and embrace more of the love of God. Do you realize the, the more heart issues you have, the more blockages you have to receive God's love for yourself? So Father's heart helps you get rid of that. So more of God's love can come in. Get rid of that one. More of, more of God's love can come in. Stand with me. I'm closing prayer. Today we talked about the why, and in the future, next week or so, we'll talk about the how or the what. What do we do? How do we do this? But if we don't grab a hold of the why, then we won't ever do the what or the how. Let's pray. Lord, we do love you. And we want to walk in that love. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to deal with our hearts, to expose the stuff that we don't even see, we don't even notice. Anything that's hindering us, anything that's offensive to you. The things that are blocking our ability to move forward in relationship with you. We ask you to expose those things, Lord. And we thank you for the grace to be able to do something about it. We thank you and we praise you, Lord God, that you have our best interest in mind. And we just submit to you and cooperate with you. In Jesus' name.